You're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. You guys have enjoyed this series. This has been a series that's based out of chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and it's focused on what God can do through small people that have faith. And it's not just a story about wise old men with big beards. It's a story about prostitutes named Rahab. It's a, spirit about, it's, it's a story about young shepherds named David. It's a story about you, and it's a story about me. It's a story about really less about trying to grab hold and do something on your own. It's more about letting go and letting God do what he's always wanted to do. Faith is really less about strong effort. It's more about great surrender. We're actually more wired for faith than doubt. I mean, uh, Andre did, it, did a great job when he came and preached a few weeks ago on Jericho, and it talks about in, 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 in Hebrews 12, basically, the journey to faith is casting things off more than grabbing hold of things. Cast aside your sin that so easily entangles yourself. Cast aside the doubts. In Jesus' paradigm of the soil and faith and the seed, he would say, it wasn't that the soil had a problem, it's the rocks that got in the way of the soil. You're designed for faith. You were, you, that's why he calls it a childlike faith, is because as a child, you were more predisposed to faith than you are now because you've added things to your heart rather than needed to gain things for your heart. And so if I had to sum it up, you know, as a teacher, they always say, Oliver, what's on the test? Mr. Wong, like, tell me the study guide. What's the answer? What is faith? If I had to give you the study guide on faith, I'd say faith is obedience to God's word. It's wherever you're at. It will look different in different times and different seasons. Faith is doing what God says when he says to do it, for the reason he says to do it. And faith is not comparative. You can't look at somebody to your left or your right to tell if you have faith or not. You can't. Like Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he had a conversation with Jesus, and he complained about the comparison of what John didn't have to go through and what he had to go through. And his response is like, why are you asking about John? I'm asking you to take a step. And so you might sit next to somebody, and because somebody next to you is a little less generous than you or a little less kind than you, you might think that you actually are walking in faith, but because you've measured against yourself instead of measured against Jesus, you've actually disqualified yourself from being able to take the step you're supposed to take. Because we don't look to our left or to our right, we look to him for our faith. We need the word of God in obedience to walk out in faith. So there's a couple of things that I just want to close the series on about faith, some some. Uh, threads that I saw throughout all of the stories that define what faith is like. And there's three words that I want us to, to look at and, and almost reflect on from the summer, whether it be from Abraham to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to Rahab to Sarah. They're all worshiping one God, but they're all walking out their individual faith journeys. And if they got to heaven, I think they would all trade notes and find some similarities. There's certain things that are common to all of us under one faith is that the one faith that we subscribe to is not transactional, it's relational. One thing you'll see is that the people that were walking in faith were not ultimately following principles, although they lived inside the confines of covenant, many of them. Ultimately, their steps were responding to a voice, not a precept. And, and this, this shows you, the, the, the proof and the pudding of this is that each of the individual assignments were quite different. For example, Joseph's obedience led Israel into Egypt, while Moses' obedience led them out of Egypt. The word of the Lord over Joshua's life was to have confidence, 
whereas the word of the Lord over Abel's life was to be contrite. And so we have the word of God to, to explain Jesus. Has, there's 50 commands in Jesus. People say, well, I'm relationship, no religion, and so there's no rules. Well, there's commands, though. Commands that come from the mouth of God. There's commands. There's things that we do in every season. It's, it's, never, not, it's never okay not to forgive. It's never okay to not have peace. It's illegal in the kingdom of heaven to not have peace. You're supposed to guard your peace because peace is your inheritance. It's never okay to, to be angry and hold a grudge. It's never, it's like, it, there's, there's not a sense of just relativism, is that the right word? In faith. There's relationship, but, but that doesn't make it all relative. But for the things that are paradoxes, the graces and truths and the justice and mercies, for those things, the Word of God brings us into context of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God in relationship tells us our assignment. We can't judge our assignment by the person next to us. We can only judge it by His voice. And so the Bible doesn't take us far enough without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God needs to tell us in every instance, in every circumstance, what to do according to season and its time. The second thing that I've seen in this series, and maybe you have too, is that faith has a level of responsibility to it. Like I like when Stephen said, your faith isn't only what Oprah would ask you if you have confidence or not. The question is really, do your kids see your confidence? Because my faith shouldn't be measured by this relative nature, you know, kind of moving measuring stick. There's a sort of measurability. James says that if you have faith, then I should be able to see Deeds, faith is measured not by the bumper sticker, but by your iCal and your budget. Faith should look like something. And Stephen challenged us and charged us and said, it's not a statement of beliefs, it's a list of steps. It's what do your kids say about you? Do others sense there's a level of confidence and conviction? It can't just stay between the ears, it has to move through your heart and into your feet. Faith is active. And if you're not careful, you'll find some other version of superstitious faith, a transactional faith, or a faith that holds you to the couch that's about comfort and not about conformity to Christ. And the third thing that we learned about faith is that all faith is rewarded. That we are not in this thing to be sacrificial. We're in here to be hedonists. We're here for the great reward. He's not a taker. He's a giver. And anytime we come in context with him, we always become richer. We never become poor. And so we're not here to sacrifice. We're here to inherit. The story that we tell is a story that I was once lost because of a small receptivity, a small sensitivity to the word of God. Now I'm found. I didn't have a home. Now I have a home. I didn't have a name. Now I have a name. The asking that he asks of us is not too great that he would not give us. His asking is giving to us. Our obedience is not for his good, it's for our good, as though he needs money from us, that he has a cattle on a thousand hills. He is a giver and not a taker. We end up the profiteers in this thing. And a faith that doesn't understand that, it only understands responsibility, it doesn't understand reward, is no faith of heaven. Because heaven is a great ludicrous story of broken people receiving things they didn't deserve. That's what our faith tells us. And we'll close our series today at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? I could go on forever about these stories. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, 
about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice. I love that the faith of God builds the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is not just about criticism, but it's about creation. Faith of God doesn't allow us to sit on the sidelines and criticize society as to why it's broken and what's wrong with it without offering a solution and a word of hope and a vision for a city on a hill, for a place that has not only breaking of strongholds, but the administering of justice to be the very place of heaven here on the earth. This is no short of our responsibility and gain what was promised. I love that this, this series has been about promises. It's not been about good ideas. It wasn't Abraham's idea to leave his home. It wasn't his dream on his Pinterest board, Joseph, to get arrested and put into to prison. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't the good idea. It was the God response that moved and compelled these people. It was the God idea that compelled the Old Testament saints. It was his promise, not just our passions. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. I love the story of Hebrews 11, which paints a picture of God in every corner. He's just not the God over one individual circumstance. He's the God over the globe. He's not just God of the neighborhood or the city. He's, he's God of the entire... He's not just God of... He's the God in war and he's the God in peace. He's, he's the God over slaves and he's the God over free. He's the God over women and the God over men. He's the God of the weak and of the strong, of the smart and of the simple. He's the God of it all. And when we follow in faith the God that has no boundaries... We have a faith that has no borders. We are called to the nations, not just our small little story. We are called to the generations. Our faith is not only for us, it's for people we will never meet in our lifetime. This is what Hebrews 11 shows us about faith. Verse 9, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two and killed by the sword. I want you to think about the Bible you have in your hands and the freedom we have in this theater and the worship that we sang just a moment ago. That's stuff paid by blood. Somebody, even more than Jesus, there's, there's been sojourners of faith, people that have chromosomes and DNA and have problems and issues just like us had to pay the price for the things that we have. We don't, we don't enjoy a free faith. We enjoy an expensive faith that somebody had to pay for. Not only Christ, but others had to pay for the freedom and the liberties that we have in this room, for the ability to have the scriptures translated this way. We can't take these things for granted these things come at a cost. Our, our faith is precious because it's cost people something. And it costs you something. It will and should cost you something. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only, that only together with us would be made perfect. Today I want to talk about an important topic. I mentioned it last week, but today I want to talk about what happens to faith when it's put in delay. You read Hebrews, you can kind of see it swing around verse 36 to 37. 
of describing faith in a narrative of delivery in the beginning. God delivering the impossible, interrupting immediately, changing the scenario, doing what couldn't have been done if he wasn't there, acting on his people's behalf, being an advocate, being a protector, being a provider, being a solution. He was the God of deliverance for Moses, the God of deliverance for Abraham. He was the God of deliverance for Isaac. He delivered the promise. But for some, and really for all, the promise wasn't always delivered immediately, nor in full. In fact, at the end of verse 39, they have argument to say that, for the most part, not anyone really received the full promise while they're here on this earth. I mean, Abraham still died in his tent. Joseph still died before his feet were in the promised land. Moses never lived there, could only prophesy it and look forward to it. These people lived in faith that operated in delivery, but very much oper- operated in delay. I want to talk to you. I want to, us to share today about what do you do when your faith is put in delay, when the promise is deferred, when the promise is, is withheld, when the opposite of the outcome actually comes your way and it feels like you're being punished for faith rather than rewarded for faith. What do you do when the miracle doesn't happen? What do you do when the healing doesn't come about? What do you do when the person beside you receives a promise, but it seems like the the Lord that they follow must be different from the Lord that you follow because the promise flows to them but must stop at the place of your inheritance? What do you do in, in seasons of delay? It's an important question. So the other day, um, Kyra asked me uh, to, to pray with her um, before we went to bed. Like old school, not just like turn on worship music and kind of do something else. Like, like the kind, like Jonathan Edwards, where he would like wear a nightcap and have a candle or something on a plate. And like, you know, at, you know Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, like put your knees on the floor and pray like old school Puritan style. And she really was serious, like, well, we, we really want to, let, let's stop everything and turn the music off, and it's not going to be emotional, we're just going to pray. And for some reason, almost for, I have to be transparent with you, and it makes me embarrassed as a pastor, I'm kind of like, I don't really want to pray right now, I'm in a bad attitude. I don't know if you've ever been there before, don't judge me. <laughs> just as a side note, I, I did pray before our meal for... Um, <laughs> For uh, our, our most recent anniversary, we're at uh, Porto, Portofino's down there on Haywood, or around Haywood Road, and uh, one of my favorite restaurants, and apparently I prayed too long, and the food was too good, so Kyra was hungry. She was like, you can stop now. I'm starving. You can stop praying. So it's a time of like, sometimes, I'm just throwing her under the bus. Sometimes she doesn't want to pray. Just saying. So, but it's, it's embarrassing to pray with your spouse. It's awkward. It's hard to pray with your spouse, and I think the reason why, here's the reason why I felt the way that I did is because prayers with your spouse are accountable. Like, like if I go into a prayer with my spouse and I pray something and come into the presence of the Lord, the flow of my conversation out loud, you could hear it as a third person not knowing what God would say, and you would see the flow of that prayer leading to laying something down that I should never pick up again. And so praying with your spouse pretty much means that when you lay that thing down, that grudge or that thing that you're anxious about or the thing that you're worried about that you're constantly kind of processing, if you say that outside before, before the Lord, if you said it unto, you know, to yourself, you can almost kind of rationalize it. But if you say it before your spouse, it's going to get real awkward when the very next day, the very thing that you just said, oh, Lord, I just lay it at your feet, God, and I just totally surrender to this whole thing. And the very next day, you're still complaining about it. 
There is a level of responsibility, like when you start praying for somebody, let's say in your family, because you're looking for things to pray about, and you're thinking, well, what's important? Then you go back to your priorities, and prayer kind of does that. It gives you a perspective, and you start praying about what really matters, and you start talking about some of the difficult people in your family, and you put it before the Lord, and then there's an accountability that you actually have to do something with that prayer. Like you actually have to call that person, or be kind to that person, or be generous to that person. And so prayer is accountable. When you, when you get with your spouse. But when, when, when my knees hit the floor and when we prayed, I could sense the power of God in that place. It wasn't about rhetoric. It wasn't about leading some movement. It was about the very things that I'm most worried about, the very things I'm most vulnerable about, the things I'm most broken about. And it was holding me accountable to do what I ultimately is prayer always meant to do is to lay things down, but when you get up, not to take them with you. Is to leave prayer changed is what prayer is. Prayer has not happened until I've laid something down that doesn't belong to me and I've picked something up that doesn't belong to me. That's what prayer is, and it hasn't happened until that happens. Prayer isn't just processing before the Lord, complaining before the Lord. There's a difference between complaining before the Lord and prayer. C.S. Lewis says, we greatly underestimate the power, the power of posture. We think that our bodies are disconnected from our minds and from our souls, and he says, I dare, I dare contend to that. That our, that our posture deeply matters to the way that we pray. We, when, when, when we get with Jonathan Edwards, our knees hit the floor, and, and there's just something our body and spirit is telling us that I, I can bring anything to the Lord, but I can't bring any attitude to the Lord. Certain attitudes not welcome here. And I've got I've to come to the Lord, and he accepts me right where I am, but there's a, a level of of attitude and perspective that, God, you are God and I am not. And certain prayers when you're in this position sound dumb when you're down on your knees. And it holds you accountable. And, you're, and, you're, and your hands are clasped. It's just good old-fashioned prayer, guys. I mean, just, just, just simple, old-fashioned prayer. Your hands are closed and it tells your body, it tells your spirit and your soul that my best work is done when I ask the Lord to do the labor ahead of me. I don't do the labor myself. I ask the Lord to go ahead of me, and then I discover what he's already done. This is how faith works. And then my eyes are closed, and for a minute in the busy day, I actually get an opportunity to see things instead of from downwards, upwards, from my perspective to his, rather. I would close out my circumstances that I would get a pure picture of what he's saying. God, you bring up the conversation. I'm not going to change the subject. This is what pure... Prayer looks like. We don't do it because it's, because it's soul-bearing, because it's accountable, because it's vulnerable, because it makes us weak. It gives God ability to hurt us, to let us down. It gives us accountability that we could fail at it. And we, we resist this place. We resist the place of humble humility and faith before the Lord because it because it puts a hope and an expectation in our heart that might actually be deferred or delayed. This is the world that we live in. We, world, we live in a world that God is both the God of delivery and he's the God of delay. He's the God who rescues 14 Thai boys out of a mountain of a 14-hour excursion, brought the world together. God's still working and doing even Navy SEALs would call this thing a miracle. He rescues 14-year-old boys. 
but yet Redding, California is on fire right now. He's, he's rescuing people in our city. I've, I've seen at the, at the Miracle Hill graduation when, when the overcomers take the stage and they sing that gospel song and they read, I believe in that transformation. They read their testimony. There has been deep, impossible change that's going on in their life that only God can do. But yet you'll turn on the news and there's school shootings. And it would be easier to live in just one of those worlds, but we live in both. We live and serve and follow a God who's a God of delivery and a God of delay. It would be easier if we could just live in the God of delivery, the God that always answers all the time the way that I want, the way that I expected. Or at least, God, don't do any of it that I could just sit in verses 36 through 42 when I didn't have to expect anything. There are people in this room that I want to preach to you today. You have a young faith, maybe not by age, but by experience. Things have mainly worked out, and, and there's a level of God is always going to break through. And if that's the first thing that always comes to your mind, and that's the kind of rosy, you know, Pollyannic perspective that you have, I want to preach to you today and warn you that there will come a day when your heart will be rendered over things that will happen in your life. And your child will not be alive when you wake in the morning. And your spouse will not get the, the doctor's report that you wanted. I remember when, when, when my father-in-law suddenly just passed away at 62. All the guys came to his funeral and they all wanted to know about his exercise habits and about his doctor's prognosis. And when we told him that there was nothing in his exercise lacking and nothing in his prognosis that, that showed us any differently, that there was anything to avoid, a deep paradigm could, would strike them. I could see it in their eyes. They were nervous because they realized that could happen to them too. We don't live in a world protected from delay, from hurt, from pain. And so I want to preach to you today that we're singing songs like I Need You, but I, I promise that most of us we don't know these songs yet. You'd have to talk to a cancer patient. You'd have to talk to somebody who's lost a spouse. You'd have to talk to somebody who's lost a child to know what that means. Because we might know the God of delivery, but we don't yet know the God of delay. And I also want to speak to those that are the people that, that rest in the God of delay, but don't expect the God of delivery. Who are too afraid, who would never see a, a lion's mouth shut because you're too afraid to go near one. And you'd never see a kingdom toppled because you'd never have enough courage in the Lord to go and confront one. I want to speak to you today that it is, not, it is just as equally harmful to live only with the God of delivery and not delay, but it's just as equally harmful to live in the God of delay and not expect the God of delivery. That is no faith at all. We serve the same God who still heals, who still redeems, who still changes, who still brings things into new. And the minute that we lose sight of the fact that He is the delivery today, not just when kingdom come, is the minute we surrender our faith. Everybody say, one faith. We serve only one God. We, only, we either serve the God that Abraham was delayed for in his tent or the God that delivered him to the promised land. He, we, we, are the, we follow the God of both of those narratives. And so I want to talk to you today about, just briefly, about what does it mean to live in, in both of those worlds? Not living in one and, 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 and not the other, but to live in both worlds. This is what it says in verse 40. 
It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what, had they, what they had been promised. And in other words, it's saying that all of the people in Hebrews 11 lived in delay to some degree. They didn't receive the full nature of their promise. There aren't winners and losers. There's not favorites. That all of us see delivery and we all see delay. But it says, God had a plan for it all, something better for us, that only together with us we would be made perfect. This is what I want to say to you guys today in short is that God is the delivery. God is the God of delivery and the God of delay because the goal of his agenda, his heart towards us is not for miracles delivered or delay. His goal is that we might be made, verse 40, perfect as Jesus is perfect. His aim and his agenda is not to make you rich and successful. It's to make you like Christ. His goal and agenda is not to push you down and harm you to be a God with a magnifying glass, burning you alive to make you prove your faith so he might uplift himself. He's not insecure. His goal is not to deliver or delay. His goal is to make you perfect even as Christ is perfect, and he will spare no expense to do that. You might say it like this. The quote is on the screen. God delays our faith so that we might not grow shallow, but he delivers our faith so that our faith might not grow cold. Like my son Leo, the day that those Thai boys got released, he ran into the living room. I read it off of my iPhone. I said, all kids, and I was emotional myself, I said, all the kids have been rescued. You know, the whole world like, kind of like clamored around. Even my dad, who's not of faith, is like just moved by this situation. The world coming together all for the sake and purpose of serving one. A, a, a Navy SEAL dying in, in the way of trying to go and reach some of these kids. It brings out the best of what this world has to offer. I mean, I always say that, you know, the hardest thing to Christian faith is bad things happening to good people. But you know what the hardest thing to atheists is? Good things still happening. Redemptive narratives still unfolding. Families still coming home. People sacrificing themselves for others. You can't live in one world and, and without the other. And my son, Leo, he comes in, he says, I prayed for that. He said, I prayed for that. He said, Katie Fink and John Fink, they served down in the kids' ministry. They stopped the whole program. They read the news report, and we prayed that this thing would move. And not an hour later, I promise you that God loves a childlike faith. He rewarded Leo's faith not in two days or two years, but in the moment that he prayed for it, it instantly happened that he would be a witness to the God of delivery. May he never forget that. May he never forget God's kindness that he doesn't make you earn things, that he doesn't punish you for things, that he gives you things for free. May we never stop serving a God who is scandalously generous. That's the God, that's the sermon I never want him to forget. But you know what I also love? I take him to Gravitopia the other day with baby Oliver. We paid like 15 bucks, best $15 we ever spent. We take him down there, they're just burning energy, doing ADD stuff, just jumping around, losing their mind. And I'm just sitting there like, this is a padded room. This is exactly what I need. Leo's 10, and he's, he's a caretaker. He, 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 he's generous with his, with his affection and with his relationship, and he, he's having fun, but for the most part, he's taking care of his two-year-old brother. I mean, goodness gracious, like, Jesus, convict me, you know? And, and so he's, like, holding his hand, and then there's a little, you ever see, like, a little toddler girl, like, come up with a little toddler boy and, like, put their arm around him, and there's, like, little, like, flirt, ter, uh, like two-year-old flirting deal going on? And Leo's like helping the girl and helping, helping the kid. 
And I think to myself, on days that I wish, on days that I think that I don't have faith, and days that I think that God's not working, I look at that and I say, God, may, we, may I never look at things like this and forget that you're still working. God, in the generations, would you sow a seed of generosity, a fruit of the Spirit that only comes because you're here? Every act and good work is an echo of that cross. That came from Calvary. I don't want to take that for granted. I say, thank you, God, for generosity. And so here's what, here's what I, I think about a situa- situation like that as a father. Here's the deal. Is that, is that that prayer that he prayed for those, for those Thai boys, it will come and go. And I know one of the hard things about a dad seeing a kid pray for something that comes true is knowing that maybe the next prayer is a little bit more delayed. And I hope that that day when it comes that he's going to have the faith to stand strong in a time when there is delay. But what I know is this, is that the $10 that I put aside every month or whatever for, for Leo's college will come and go and the college itself will come and go and the job opportunity that he gets out of college and, and, and the responsibilities that he has after college, those will all come and go. But gentleness will be a fruit that remains in his soul forever. It will bless him forever. He will have healthy relationships and healthy family, not because a prayer was answered, but because a character was instilled in him that wasn't from his dad. Because the Holy Spirit is generous to give the gifts that matter most. And he wouldn't give us a a short-term ice cream gift that would melt in the sun and not give us the long-term gift that would be a fruit that remains. I say, God, answer prayers and postpone them that my son might grow in the character of Christ. That's the prize. That's the thing. That's, that, that's what Jesus came for. That's why he is the, he can be the God of delivery and the God of delay because he wants to install neither miracles or deferment of miracles, but he wants to install a fruit that would remain for generations to come that echoes into the halls of eternity. You know, trees and plants that live in places where there's a lot of rain, they actually suffer because their root systems don't grow deep enough. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13, I think, and we'll get into it in a moment, but... But trees that live in places that have access to grace all the time, the access to rain all the time, they actually don't grow deep. It's trees that live in seasons of drought without immediately answered prayers that the roots will grow down to 100 to 150 feet and even split rocks because they are searching for water. That's how resilient faith is. That's how resilient the Spirit of God is in your life. In a lot of ways, our faith in delay is not just a faith in God, but a faith in what he's done in us. And the season that we're in is an invitation to grow in trust for him, the greatest prize and treasure that we'll ever experience. This is the way that Romans 5 says it, which is on the screen. Not only so, but we are also glorifying in our sufferings. This is what he's saying is that The circumstance without your faith and without the justification of Christ, if you were to waver even in your faith for Christ, that there is a purpose to the pain and there is a a meaning behind all of the, 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 the suffering, you might lose your faith. But now because we are not wavering, because we are firm-footed in our understanding of of justice and understanding of our our justification in Christ, our suffering, instead of killing us, actually produces in us a perseverance, a perseverance that produces character and a character that produces hope that can't be taken. This is what he says the prize is. This is what is happening in our life in seasons of rain and seasons of drought, in seasons of pain and in seasons of, of miracle. These 
These are the things that are happening in the life cycle of a Christian is that the root system is growing deeper, that our fruit might grow richer and more enduring. So this is what Jesus has to say about how to live in the season of deferment. To live in the season of delay, to live in the season of waiting. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What was sown in their heart. The seed is sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. That there's, there's, there's an encounter in worship, in, in a youth group, and a moment of, for that time, revelation and understanding that has not yet been tested. That that seed would not just be something that would be received, but something that would be held was the purpose of that seed. For the, for the imminent testing of what that seed is, for the exact opposite of everything that we sing on Sunday mornings to happen. That's why it's delivered, not just for the day it was received, but the day that it would be tested. His prayer, his hope, his encouragement is that the seed would not just be one of whimsical joy, but one of realism and fortitude is the goal of that seed. And he says if that seed doesn't take a root, if it doesn't move into a place of testing, which would move into a place of perseverance and into character and into hope, then that seed will be squandered as though the seed was never there. He says, there's a seed that I'm putting here. It's the beginning of a root system that would grow deep and wide into me. Verse 21, but since they had no root, they last only a short time. Then trouble or persecution comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. And the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what I saw at Gravitopia, the fruit of the Spirit. His goal is not for miracles. The miracles are a means to an end. The goal is fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains, fruit that's impossible without abiding in Jesus. And that's the thing that can never be taken from you. It's your trust with Jesus. To Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust the Lord with all of your heart. That's what every season's about. If you ever wonder if you're upside down, why am I here? Why is this happening to me? The answer is trust. Is he's leveraging everything he has in your world to, to, to exchange whatever it is that you have in your hand to receive trust with the Lord. It's the greatest commodity in the kingdom of heaven. That's why he says there's three great words in 1 Corinthians 13. Commodities of heaven of faith, hope, and love, but out of those three, they're not all on equal planes. One of them is even greater is love. So the invitation even in Corinthians 13 is that faith is precious, but it's not as precious as love. Exchange your faith in seasons of doubt that you might inherit the love of God in your life, the fruits of the Spirit in your life. And so if this was a chapter in your book, the season that you're in right now, the challenge that you're facing, the name of that chapter that you're in won't be about, won't be called the testing chapter that you're in isn't the cancer of 2009. It's the perseverance of 2009. That's what the topic is. The purpose of the testing is, is, is not the test. It doesn't matter what the, like, the thing that would test you wouldn't test me. 
That's not the object. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story isn't the circumstance. The point of the story is about the characters. It's about his character growing clearer and my character growing nearer to him. This is what the chapter is about. It's not about the circumstance. It's not about the storm. It's the one who speaks to you in the storm and about your ability to hear him. C.S. Lewis says it this way, that pain and suffering is God's megaphone to the world because there's things you will never hear and never understand until you're put into that place of delay. There's songs that you can't sing until you're put into the place of delay. There's a faith you can't leverage until you have to wait on it. There's a praise that you can only bring in the valley. There's, there's revelation you can only receive when you're in a situation like that. You could read Romans 8.1, for example, in youth group and memorize it. And it sounds different when you're 13 and and you're thankful that you're accepted, and you're thankful that you're free, but when you have cancer in 2009, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are reminded of a God and a covenant stronger than life itself. And it's loud to you now. There's a megaphone right now in the sermon that's being preached to you. He's got your attention. And then you start to think, I may have cancer of the body, but there's some people who have cancer of the soul. My time is short here. And my evangelism then doesn't become another check in the box. It's hours that I need to leverage right now. It becomes a short life that I want to I receive everything I can. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Yesterday wasn't guaranteed. And so every moment is a gift. There is, there is a, a megaphone of revelation when you get into the place of waiting. So don't despise the place of waiting because you're hearing God better than ever. You're growing the most in the valley, and it's in the time of the drought that your roots are growing deepest. So don't spend time wasting your pain, wondering and worrying about what's going to happen next. Use the magnifying glasses that God's given you as a gift in the place of faith and get into the Word of God to read it like you've never read it before. Because that trust will develop into perseverance and perseverance character, and you will, you will receive fruit from that thing that will, that will go beyond the medical bills into the generations that will bless your children's 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 children. The second thing he says is that faith and delay needs to wait on God and not delivery. In other words, that the people that had a shallow seed, they were waiting and believing that faith needed to have a certain circumstance and therefore put God in a box that, God, you're only good if you deliver this circumstance. They asked people in the prison camps in Vietnam or in Korea how the ones that survived lasted so long. And one of the major things that divided the difference between survivors and people that died is that the survivors never put an expiration date on the date that they were released. The ones that gave up hope, they would set it for Christmas 1969. They would set it for Christmas 1970. They would set it for these dates. And when the dates didn't deliver, their hope was deferred. And when their hope was deferred, their heart grew sick. So this is what he said, is that it's, it's dangerous when you put your circumstance and God in a box. Don't put me in a box. My will is bigger than yours. My ways are not like your ways. Your understanding is like my understanding. Your job is not to create the curriculum. It's to trust in my plan. Come to me in your next step. And so my advice to you, if you are in a season of delay or in a season of suffering, is, is don't count and look for God's delivery. Count and look for God and the steps you're taking towards him. You can't control the circumstance that's around you, and you never can. So your job in the place of a seed, in a place of, of a beginning of what God is building, is not to focus on the delivery, but to focus on the steps. What is the next step in front of me? 
This is how he, he measures faithfulness is, is, is he's not measuring the amount of fruit. Notice that it says just as strongly that lions' mouths were shut and kingdoms were toppled by faith. So it was that people's bodies were split in two by faith. Faith isn't measured by the fruitfulness. It's measured by the faithfulness. And so what will drive you insane is when you're so focused on the circumstances, if God's only good, once I get over the mountain, you miss the blessing in the valley. God is blessing you right where you are. He's calling you to focus on him and not on the problem, on the steps of obedience, which ultimately are of greatest reward, regardless of if the problem comes and goes. Lastly, the thing that I see in this passage from Matthew is that faith in delay needs to keep its eyes on eternal perspective, on the eternal rather than just the right here and now. It has to have a perspective that there's no U-Haul behind a hearse, that it all goes back in the box. We get distorted when we start to think that our home is here and that all that matters is now. There has to be a greater perspective, a perspective that Abraham had of a city without walls that was built without hands. You have to have a perspective in the trajectory of your life. We are not living for today. We are living for the generations under the kingdom of God. One of my favorite shows, you guys know this is, this is Us coming back in the fall. You guys have seen this show. It's a story of a young family who loses one of their triplets, and on the day that they have their babies, decide in a moment's notice to adopt this third uh, African-American child. So they call it the big three, and there's two twins and then one extra named Randall, and they grow up as siblings. And the family kind of develops, and the story evolves, much like our story evolves Many times because of one decision. I mean, I had one soft moment in my heart, and I adopted Penny, my dog, and I've regretted it ever since. But that doesn't go on record before the Lord. The power of the show is that it shows, this is what I love about the show, is that it doesn't just show one person's life. It shows the generations and the implications of what you do as it ripples into, into the story. And so now as the story goes on, not only is Randall, the third son, adopting and wanting into foster care, but actually one of his daughters, you see it in some of the later scenes, is actually in the adoption uh, 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 world and, and, and using her gifts to help adopted children and foster children in need. This is the biblical paradigm that I see in this, is that it takes one minute of faith to alter the course of history. It takes one second of trusting God that if you were to believe in that second and just take one small step, I mean just one step, you could literally alter the lives like Randall sets up some building with all these people that are homeless you know, in, in the community that would ripple into the future, a, a, a seed that is sown into the future that bears much fruit, fruit that remains, that establishes an oak of righteousness that starts with a small sapling that could get sweltered up by one bad day or one bad attitude that digs its roots so deep inside and down that it actually leads to the very redemption of a certain sector or mountain in the world. This is the type of attitude that we have to have. We are not just unto ourselves, and our decisions and lives are not just only applicable and accountable to ourselves, that the decisions that we make today not only affect our own, but they affect those around us. And when we get our eyes so narrow and so flint on just my individual circumstance and my individual problem and the very thing, the only card that I don't have in my hand and I lose sight of all the other cards that I have in my hand and lose sight of all the things that God is doing to focus on the one thing that God is not, I remove myself from the place of faith and vulnerability. I enter into complaining and I stop his hand from bringing the very redemption and touch of healing into this world. But the alternate narrative is true is that if I would just take one step, if I would just take one more breath, if I were to, 
to actually do what James says and take the word of God and not just think about it and use it to argue somebody else into a corner, but I would actually let it reflect and, and change me that I might receive him and take a step with him that no faith step is ever unnoticed and no faith step is ever not rewarded. Every step that is taken is established and established permanently. We are not living in a downward spiraling narrative. Although the world gets darker according to prophecy, the kingdom of heaven only advances and never digresses. And when we step into faith and say, yes, even in the simple of things, the very power of God is released. There's people in this room, Jesus made mention of it in the scriptures of a widow that gave two coins. There's people in this room that have done in the last week or will do in the next week small things you'll never know that will affect the course of history and that person might be you. If you would render your heart, if you would, if you would dare to be that vulnerable, to surrender the place of control, your authority, your power, your control, your expectation of God. You better deliver on this promise or else you're not good. That we would lay down our narrow vision in exchange for his and see a bigger picture, a peace that would rest on us. What kind of a peace would rest on you if you were to see that you're not living for a two-day vision, you're living for a 500-year vision? And there's greater stakes and rewards than you would ever think of and the steps that you take are have more implication than you'd ever thought of. And, and the clarity that you actually have is greater than you actually think because you already know his character and you already know what he's saying to you. He's not asking you to fix everything or do everything or be everything. He's asking you to take the step that's right in front of you. We are in a season right now as a church. We're in a season right now as individuals and as families. And that season will end speedily. It'll be one day, the baby's crying, they're going crazy, they're six months old, and then one day, he'll just stop crying. And you'll be in a new season, it'll be all new problems. And you'll get your sleep now, but you'll have some other problem. And it'll change, but what you take with you is your character. What you take with you is your history with God. What you take with you is your blessing. We spend so much time looking at our past and looking at our future that we'd never stay present. He doesn't tell us the timetable in the curriculum, nor do we have control of it, so we should stop worrying about it. When he wants to change the calendar page, he will change the calendar page, and he will change it very quickly. You'll be in a season of delay, and he will just, at the very end of it, not even give you warning, and he'll just expedite it, and you'll just get flung into a new season. You'll go, well, that was quick. I just went through four years of school for one day of graduation. And it's almost ironic how long it takes to get to a certain turning point and then the turning point happens and then it's immediate. But that's how God works. God, that we would get a perspective to see the bigger picture, to see the far and near, to see the, the, the stakes and really what lasts and what matters. God, that you would put in us a root system that would dig down so far deep that we would have a fruit that would remain into generations for generations and generations to come. I want to invite the band to come forward as we close. In response, I'll ask you to stand as we just go before the Lord and close. But um, thank you, God, for just prayer that's going to open up in our families. For people not just processing and grumbling, but people that pray. And a, pray that, a prayer that's effectual, that leads to the laying down and the picking up. That doesn't look to the left or the right to compare progress, but looks only to you and what you've said. It doesn't look in the mirror of reflecting of our own abilities to measure whether or not we should take the next step, but rather that we would just take the step knowing you've already provided for us. We thank you for a story that we're not writing, 
Goodness, if we wrote it, it wouldn't be nearly as good. We thank you that it's your promises. We lean into the God idea rather than the good idea. God, I'm asking that you would give us eyes to see that we might see a bigger picture, a hearts, that, hearts that would be soft, that we would receive deeply your word and trust it just as it is, and feet that would be active, that we would not just be hearers of your words, but doers of your words as well. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks for exalting Jesus with us.